And the angel said in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Father, I'm thankful today for the privilege of being in this place. Thank you, Lord, for this day of celebration. Father, we, we, we celebrate you all year long, but this is a day that's been set aside where traditionally, Lord, we remember your birth, the fact that you came to live and die for us so that one day we can go and live and or die after we die, we can go and live with you. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the plan and thankful, Lord, for our place in it. God, our, our place around or within your eternal purpose, what a, what a joy that was. And as Mephibosheth was blessed, having, Lord, his, his crippledness covered by the, uh, no doubt, the dinner table at, at David's table, God, you'll, you'll cover us with grace for eternity. We're thankful that you're able and willing to save sinners. And I pray that you'd do that this morning. Stir my heart, loosen my tongue, and God help me to set forth this word in a way that will glorify you as we seek to edify men and convince someone that may be lost of their need of a Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today I want to talk to you about, here's the text, today when amazing things happen. Now, I was thinking about this message, trying to think about a, a good entry into it, and I thought of the word infamy. And I would have used it and said something like, this is a day of infamy, but that's not the right application of the word. The day of infamous, infamous, infamous that's infamous, is a day when bad and terrible things happen. And on the day, whatever day it was that Jesus was born, a lot of great things happened. And we're here to rejoice in Him. We're here to praise Him. And we're here to honor Him for that very thing. Without apology, I tell you, I have nothing new for you in this message today. I have a message that's been told time and time again. It's a message that, that has blessed both kings and paupers the rich and the poor, the well-known and the unknown. I believe it glorifies God as it edifies man. Prophets have wondered about it. Angels have desired to look more deeply in it as they marveled about it. But today, if we're saved, we ought to rejoice in it and say glory to God for it. Amen. It's a story that is a real account of something of eternity. And you know what it does? It brings together both heaven and earth, God and man, in a way that's remarkable and glorious to all of us. And although we don't know the exact day of, a, of, the, of, a, of our Savior's birth, here's what we do know. We do know that He was born of a virgin. And we do know, regardless of what men say today, he was God's only begotten Son. He is one of a kind Son. And how wonderful that is. There are preachers on the internet that I was listening to down the week. Some now wish I hadn't. But they say something like, we are all only begotten sons of God. What's your pastor's head? No, we're not. No, we're not. There is only one only begotten, the one of a kind Son, and His name is Jesus. So today, so today God has given us this day to honor His Son, to rejoice over the fact that He came 
to seek and to save that which is lost. So if you came lost, I understand that. I was in that shape one day. But you can leave saved, assured that your name is in heaven and that if Jesus comes back before the sun sets, you'll go with him. So let's begin. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And there was, then this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. I want us to think, first of all, about the providence of God in this. Now look, this is a day, it looked like an ordinary day for anybody and everybody else. I mean, men got up, woke up, went to work. I mean, to tell you, it wasn't a national holiday. It wasn't, it wasn't a time of the year when merchants decided whether they in in the red or in the black. It wasn't a time when people looked for a turkey and a ham and planned to get together. It was just an ordinary day for planet Earth. Nothing special was going to happen to most everybody, but it was on this day that we traditionally have chosen to set up to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Amazing things happen that we ought never forget and that we ought always to rejoice in. And it was all, listen friend, designed and set forth and made sure it was to come to pass under the providence of God. I am made to believe. Now, I don't know how long before this decree to tax the world went out. I don't know how many months, how many years maybe that had happened, but I believe somewhere, sometime in the wee hours of the morning, maybe in the brisk of the evening, I have no idea, God sent a a message from heaven into the heart of a Gentile king by the name of Caesar Augustus, and he said, listen, don't you think it would be a good idea if you had a taxing in all the world? He was in control sovereignly sitting upon his throne in heaven, ruling upon, uh, ruling in the kingdoms of men and turning the heart of a man who led the strongest nation that this world has ever known, the Roman nation, turning his heart so that he would do what needed to be done, listen now, to ensure that his son would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Amen. The providence of God was at work. And I'm listening now. When I'm talking about God, I'm talking about the one true God. The God that is God. I'm talking about the eternal I am that I am. Would you all mind turning with me quickly to one of the greatest verses that, that, that we can find in the Word of God about the fact that God says there's only one God, Isaiah chapter 44, and it is verse 8. I think this is one of the funniest verses there is in the Bible. Now, God, God is omniscient. For those of you that don't know what omniscient is, omniscient is a theological word that means God is all-knowing. God never learns anything. He'll know nothing tomorrow that He didn't know yesterday and that He knows today. I sat at a table one time and a man who had more letters to go on the end of his name than I have to put on the end of mine and a lot of other people had a lot of letters going into their name around the table with me. He began to talk and he began to talk about how God learns, how God gains knowledge And I looked at him and I said, do you believe that really? And he said, I do. So I just kept my mouth shut. What are you going to do with stupid? 
You, hey, you can be educated, but dumber than a box of rocks. He actually believed that God learns. But listen, friend, God, listen, God knows all things equally well. Great and small, me and you, yesterday, today, and forever. And in fact, He knows the end and the beginning. God knows. But listen to what God says. This is why it's funny. In the latter part of verse 8, Isaiah 44, Is there a God besides me? Yea, there is no God. He said, now listen, I know not any. You know what? That puts it to bed. That puts it to rest. There is one God and one God only, and He is the great I am and I am, who is, was, and always shall be. The providence of God was in the hand of His Son coming into this world. And look, friend, let me say it again. Although He was enthroned in heaven, by the way, the earth of his, is His footstool. He's ruling and reigning among the kingdoms of men. Never doubt that. Man may propose, but I'll tell you what, he decides in the end. Number two, look at verses four and five. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David. Mary and Joseph lived in the Galilean region up north near the Galilean Sea, the Sea of Galilee. I've had the privilege of being at Nazareth. And God was specific about where He needed His Son to be born. He told Micah to tell the world that uh, Bethlehem, Euphrates would be the place that His Son would be birthed, not the Bethlehem of Galilee. He had to be born in Bethlehem, uh, Euphrates, because He was of the tribe of Judea and of the lineage of David, the king of Israel. You see, Jesus was the greater Son of David. Listen to what it goes on to say. The city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. When you see B-E-T in the Word of God in front of other letters, it, it means house of. Just like, like Bethsaida, Bethsaida, and, and the others, Bethel, the house of God. And it goes on to say, because it was of the lineage in the, of the house and the lineage of David to be taxed with his spouse, wife, uh, being great with child. So not only do you see the providence of God, we see the promises of God kept. Aren't you all glad God keeps His Word? Turn with me to one more verse of Scripture. I may not turn, get you to turn to any other, but maybe one more. But in the book of 1 Kings, look, look at the, the, these, are, these are verses that we ought to mark, but actually verses that ought to mark us. Look what he said in chapter 8 of the book of 1 Kings verse 56. And I'm only going to get part of that verse. Listen now, God keeps His Word. You see, this, this verse declares that God is faithful. How many of y'all glad God is faithful? How many of you believe that you can trust in what He's already said for what He's going to do? Listen, He said, There hath not failed one word of all His goodness which He promised by the hand of Abraham, His servant. Hey, get this. Here's the application. Here's the implication. If God's not lied to Moses, He's not going to lie to me and you. Just that simple. He's going to keep His Word. Over 300, they tell me, Old Testament prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. I've actually read as many as 319. And Josh made mention to this uh, little thing that I've got that I want to share with you. Do you all know what an amazing feat that is? Now listen, 
to have 300 prophecies written anywhere from 4,000 years to 700 years or to 400 years before it happened and for it to come to pass exactly like it happened. Do you all know how astounding that is? Now look, let me, let me, let's be honest. We sit back here and hear these things week after week and we say, oh, um. it's remarkable. It's amazing. Listen, friend, look, we, we serve. I'm about to get happy. We serve a mighty God. We serve a God that ought to be continually worshipped and praised. Hey, listen, friend, there were people in the temple, in the tabernacle. That's all they were assigned to do day and night, to give God praise. You know what we ought to do when we come here? We ought to say praise the Lord. I mean, really. We ought to be coming here fired up. We think, man, I serve a mighty God. We ought to come here and say, man, I serve a God that's able to do all things. I serve a God that saved me. He's going to keep me. Peter Stoner was a great mathematician. And the way he illustrated this, now listen to what he did. He didn't, hey, listen. Well, I'll tell that in a minute. He he said, listen, let me tell you all something. He said for a man to fulfill just seven prophecies, for a man to fulfill seven prophecies accidentally is a statistical improbability. It is one to the 17th power. That means that you put a 10 or a 1 down on paper and then you follow it with 17. 17 zeros. For one man to fulfill just seven prophecies, it is the chance the chance of that happening by accident is one in 17. Let me get it right. I don't even know where I can say this big word or not. This is about the only time that I've ever seen it. It is one in 100 quadrillion. You say, what is that preacher? That's a lot. Okay, let's just face it. That's a lot. Meaning that the chances are of it happening ain't very good. Now look, look. God didn't take a chance on His Son. Oh, see, somebody ought to like that. Peter Stoner said it would be like this. It would be like, it would be like taking the state of Texas and dumping silver dollars on it to where they would become knee deep. Painting or marking one silver dollar and having a plane to fly over the state of Texas and just drop it at random. Nobody knows. And then taking several bulldozers, running for several years, mixing it all up, and then appointing someone to walk across the state and stop wherever they chose and on their first try, reach down and pick up that one marked silver dollar. Are y'all getting it? And what's your all Say it out loud. What, what are your all's thoughts? It is an impossibility. And you'd be right. I mean, I mean... 
People could spend several lifetimes trying to do that and never get it done. Can I tell y'all, you see, you ought to get real happy about this. Jesus didn't fulfill seven by accident. He filled every one of them, friend, completely that God had written about him and preserved it in his word. And I say glory to God for that. What a Savior. The providence of God was work in order to keep the promises that God made. Turn with me again. I told you two. I lied. I've already repented in the latter part of chapter 24 of the book of Luke. Listen to this. These are good. This has to do with Jesus on the day of his resurrection. I'm going to give you two verses. He met two men on the way to Emmaus. They had left Jerusalem. They were going back home. And Jesus in his post-resurrection body met him, met them. They were troubled, and he said this in verses 25 and 6, and then he said unto them, O fool, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Listen to me, folks. Listen, please. If God, His Son, had eliminated one of those prophecies that, that Jesus said, oh, that's not real important, that would have messed the whole thing up. We'd still need a Savior. God wouldn't be true. He wouldn't be dependable. Wouldn't be trustworthy. You couldn't deposit your soul in it. You couldn't believe him for eternal life. Are y'all getting this? Just one. If he would have say say what there were three hundred, and I know I know like say theologians say, but say that say that Jesus intentionally fulfilled two hundred and ninety nine and the three hundred. He said, I, I I don't feel like doing that, Dad. We wouldn't have what we've got today. Listen, Jesus said all that the prophets, ought not Christ to have suffered these things, verse 27, beginning at Moses, all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scripture, the things concerning them. And look straight across the page in my Bible, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, and are concerning me. In Moses... Prophets and the psalm covers the whole entire Word of God, the Old Testament. So, a day when amazing things happened. God's providence was, was manifest. I mean, to tell you, it was, it was put into action in an undeniable way as promises were kept. Look at verse 6 and 7. And it was so that while they were there... The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Now look, let me, let me blow a hole in, uh, in, in pageants and, and, and church plays and, and, and Christmas postcards. She didn't arrive in Bethlehem in the afternoon and have Jesus that night. What does that verse just say? While they were there, it was accomplished. That means there is an amount of time that passed and then she had her baby. Now, I know when you're trying to put on a play in church, you know, you can't get them to Jerusalem and wait three weeks, you know, and come back and bring everybody else and show the birth of Jesus and then wait a year and a half and bring the kings from Egypt in. I understand that. But a lot of times, I'm afraid early on, I forge my uh, theology and understanding of the Word of God from what Christmas pageants and Christmas cards said. But I've learned to let the Word of God speak. Verse 7, y'all didn't like that, but I did. And she brought forth, Listen to this. Her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now look, here's what I want you to get in that. There was a process that was interrupted. Here is probably 
I'm going to give myself some room. The last verse I want you to look at in the book of Matthew chapter 1. It is verse 16. A process was interrupted. Now look, friend, let me, let me tell you all something. I ought to be honest with you. The birth of Jesus was no big deal. It was as natural as it could be. Having baby Jesus, piece of cake. Getting her pregnant to have Jesus was the big deal. Are, y'all, are you listening? See, we, we, we emphasize the virgin birth, but we got to put the emphasis where the emphasis ought to be placed. And it's on the conception of the virgin birth. It's on the conception of Christ in the womb of Mary. I mean, this is so great. We, we could spend days and weeks and years on this talking about what happened here. And I'm going to try to put it together in part of a message in five minutes or less. But you talk about we're on holy ground today. We're on holy ground. We pass over this. We hear this. We, we, we get kind of case-hardened to it. What, what's it say that old saying, familiarity breeds contempt? If we're not careful, we'll read this story so often. Like I told you, it's not a new story. I'm not apologizing for the things that I say. But yet this story, regardless of how many times I hear, it's ever new. Year after year, a lot of times, as a pastor, I'll come into these these seasons and these scriptures and I'll think, God, what else is there to get? And boy, I'll go in wondering and I'll go out humbled and he, he, he shows me how much there is to get. And, and then I leave off saying, well, I've not even scratched the surface of this when you begin to think about it. But look, a natural process was interrupted. How many of you all, your favorite word in the Bible is begat? How many of you all, when you're reading through your Bible, you wish we didn't have the book of Chronicles? You're not really happy even with the third chapter of the book of Luke. It's hard enough to get through the first 15 verses of the book of Matthew chapter 1. Begat, begat, begat. You know what that means? God is showing us through the natural process of progeneration how you and I got into this world. How mankind, see I'm about to get happy because I don't know what I'm going to say. How mankind was birthed. But listen, this birth of Jesus, He was more than just a man. He was the God-man. He was God completely. But He was man completely. He was so complete God, it was as if He were not man. He was so complete man, it was as if He were not God. He was very God, a very God, very man, a very man. Listen to what the Word of God says in Matthew 1.16. And Joseph begat Mary. And Jacob begat Joseph, excuse me, the husband of Mary. Now watch the change. Of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. There's a change there. There's no begat in that. I wish I could take time uh, to go deeper into that. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what this is. God interrupted something. Almighty God interrupted something natural to provide a savior for sinners like me and you. It wasn't enough for Jesus to be a good man, and he was that. It wasn't enough for him to be a good teacher. He was a great teacher. You could even call him rabbi. But that's not enough. He had to be God so he could be a savior for sinners. I, I thought I'd preach on a body that was prepared me. 
God can't die. That's all I'm going to say right there. God can't die. But lo, it is written in the volume of thy book, O God, for me to do thy will, a body thou hast prepared me. Do you know in that body, God laid on him my sins, your sin, the sin of all the world. In his body, he suffered what you and I should have suffered. In that body, he died like you and I should have died. In that body, he was separated from God like you and I should have been separate. He even took my hell and your He not only died for me, he died as me. Isn't that amazing? A body. I'll preach it some of these days. I won't touch it, but I'll try it anyway. But listen now, listen. On this day, amazing things happen. God, who is invisible, this is going to blow y'all's mind. It's one of those things that you're sitting there thinking about in y'all's head. And all of a sudden, here it goes. God who is invisible. If everybody believes God's invisible, say amen. The Bible calls him the invisible God. The God who is incorporeal. Now that's a name or a word that we don't hear often. In the book of John chapter 4 verse 24 it is, I believe Jesus said to the woman of the well, the unnamed woman of the well, listen, God is a spirit. Do y'all know what that means? That means he's incorporeal. That means that Hang on. He doesn't have any eyes and ears and hands and feet. He doesn't have a body. He's incorporeal. Are y'all with me? I told you your head go. I I preached this in a pulpit and the church never asked me back since. They thought I was wrong, but I knew they were wrong. It's not a matter of being right or wrong. It's just what the scripture teaches us. Out of eternity... God existed as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But God the Son entered in the stream of humanity so He could be a Savior for lost mankind. And in order to do that, the incorporal God became corporal. I'm not talking about an office in the army either, right? You understand what I'm saying? He was fleshed out. He robed Himself with flesh. Now can you imagine that? No, we can't. Can you imagine an almighty God who is, I give you one great big theological word a while ago, omniscient. I want to give you another. He's omnipresent, meaning that He's everywhere in all of the universe. In all the universe, in all of His fullness. He is everywhere at the same time, totally present in all of His fullness without the lack of anything. Here and there, there and there. All at the same time. And that God That God, His Son, entered into the stream of humanity and took upon Himself. Listen, divinity was wrapped in humanity. Y'all don't look real impressed about that, but you ought to be. Mary brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. That, that's, That's just absolutely amazing to me. The invisible became Visible. Look at verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. I'm getting close to being done. And there were in the country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. 
And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Not only do we have the providence of God, a promise of God kept, a process which is interrupted, but we've got a presentation that was declared. You imagine the angels having part in the birth of Jesus. This declaration was made by angels. There's a myriad of them. I mean, you, you say, what's well, a myriad of angels, preacher? It means a whole bunch. It means a number that we can't number. And, and, and they knew Him. They adored Him. They had worshipped Him. They had praised Him. When in the beginning God spoke the world into existence, they were there, friend, giving Him honor at that glorious task. Listen, friend, but here they were given the, uh, the glorious privilege to declare, friend, that God had been manifest in the flesh. And they were sent to shepherds of all people. I, I just think that's phenomenal. A lot of things about shepherds. One of the th- y'all know one of the things about shepherds is they wouldn't let them testify in the court of law. Do y'all know that? It, it wasn't permissible. They, they would not let them. They, they, they couldn't even approach the, uh, the temple because they were considered unclean. A lot of things. I mean, it's just so remarkable. But not when you remember Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who else would a message be better to than somebody that had watched multitudes of lambs slain? That's what they kept. They kept lambs that were to be slain at the temple. That's what tradition tells me. That's what scholars say these shepherds were doing. They were providing sheep for temple worship, for sacrifice. You see, at that time, the temple was still up and running, and they offered sacrifice, a lamb, morning and evening, on the new moon, on different, on different sabbats or sabbaths, on different feasts and festivals. And besides, when somebody had to sin, and they went to offer a peace offering, a thanks offering, a sin offering, or whatever. But they couldn't testify in court. And yet, listen to this. You talk about the grace of God. The angels brought the message not to Herod. He didn't bring the message to the Caiaphas and his son-in-law. What was he? Who was his name? Caiaphas and who? Somebody help me. Y'all know it, and I do too. But we'll just go on and play like we play like we just said it. I mean, he he, he didn't tell the people in the Sanhedrin. He, he didn't tell the Sadducees, the Pharisees. He told a bunch of shepherds about the birth. Of his Savior. And you know what? When he returns, those angels are once again going to do a little bit of shouting, giving praise. They're going to praise, listen now, this one who has made, hold on before you start, by the way. They were to give praise to the ones that were made a little lower than the angels. Isn't that amazing? They looked at him with wonder, without doubt, so that he, so that he, for me and you, could suffer death and provide salvation. So let me close with two, two other thoughts. And there the invitation. 
Number one, look at verse 19 with me. I love this. I love this. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary, the mother of Jesus, just a teenager, just a teenager, her and Joseph, just a teenager. Man, she didn't know what was going on. Do you know what she did? She just filed that away and filed that away and filed that away and filed that away. And though she didn't understand, she trusted and she believed and she waited. You know what she did? She got to the place to where she watched God's program in His Son presented to a lost and a dying world. And look, 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 this is remarkable. On the day of His crucifixion, when He had been suspended between the heaven and the earth, the nails in His hands and His feet, His vestige more marred than any man, a crown of thorns on His face, his beard not plucked out one at a time with eyebrow, with, with eyebrow pluckers, but by the handfuls. And the Bible said she stood at the cross. You say, that may, not, that may not mean anything to you, but it does. why wasn't she on her face groveling and weeping and wailing and crying and saying, they're crucifying my innocent son? The Bible said she stood. I believe those things that she kept putting in that she didn't understand, but she saw God in it. She saw God in her son, saw God's plan being formulated and being presented and being played out right before. She just, can I encourage y'all to keep putting these things away? I like your testimony. You didn't know what I was going to preach, but I like that. All things are working for us. They at times feel like they're working against us. They at times feel like they're going to kill us, that we're not going to make it. But listen, we're not done yet. And besides, it may not happen to us when we understand the full benefit and the impact of these things until the next life. Because the Bible teaches us while we look not at those things that are seen, but those things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, and the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. They're working for us. Okay, Judy, look at verse 20 with me and I'll quit. Josh, you ought, to, you ought to take this as your life's verse. you understand why in a minute. And the shepherds returned praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. And as it was told then, look at verse 17 to go with it. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the same which was told them concerning the child. Not only, friend, did Mary ponder the things in her heart, we have the first propagation that began. The gospel propagation began with shepherds. The story was told and retold. And you know what we're doing? We're telling it and retelling it again. I use the word story. Some people don't like the word story. But a story is a factual recount of something that happened in somebody's life. It's not a storybook. It's not a fairy tale. This is true. This is, this is a set of facts that we tell time and again. The propagation of the gospel. The gospel message started with the angels. I mean with the shepherds. Isn't that amazing? How wonderful that it is. You know they began telling, spreading the story which was not new, but it was given in a new way. Men wouldn't allow these shepherds again to testify that God called them to. Every head bowed, nobody looking around.